Greetings and welcome to Shnaim Mikra, the podcast series sponsored and developed by the Orthodox Union, hosted here at OU.org. In each one of these podcasts, we study, we read, we translate, study, and analyze one of the aliyot of the current week's parashah. My name is Yitzchak Yat Shalom, and I'm delighted to be studying Parashat Kitetse with you. And now we come to a uh, very large, the longest aliyah in Parashat Kitetse, the third aliyah. And it begins in Perak Chaf Bet Pasuk Chet, chapter 22, verse 8. When you build a new house, you have to make a parapet around the roof. Now, typically roofs in the Near East and the ancient world were flat. You see that today still in much of Arab construction. Flat roofs. That's why, for instance, the, uh, the Mishnah will always talk about the possibility of having a sukkah on the roof, etc. They all had flat roofs. So if you have to have a parapet around it, don't put blood in your house. If somebody's going to fall, he's going to fall from it. And uh, the famous uh, adage, this is somebody who's going to fall anyways. But you made a mistake and didn't put a parapet, so it ends up being your fault. Do not plant your vineyard with mixed seeds. Because then the seed that you plant will become Tikdash, in the sense of sanctified and prohibited, Utvuatakarim. So both the seeds that you plant there and the vineyard will become sanctified and unusable. And this is what's known as Kileha Kerem, which typically involves planting wheat and, uh, and grapes at the same time. This is another kind of mixing that's prohibited, which is to plow with an ox and a donkey at the same time meaning to plow with them together, because it's unfair to the animals. One is going to be pulling stronger, and the other one's going to be pulled behind. I heard a terrifying story, among the many terrifying stories one hears about the Shoah, that uh, there was a particular rabbi who was in the Shoah, who was very, very tall. And when the Nazis, Yimach Shmam Zichram, would take them out to work duty, they'd always match him with somebody who was very short, and they had to lift things, and he always had to bend down extra, because the other fellow was so short, and when they carried things, it was extra hard on him. That's uh, sort of what this pasuk ends up leading to. And then another prohibition of mixing, which is lo tilbash shatnez, You may not wear shatnez, which is wool and linen together. And that is, of course, woven in together. It doesn't mean you can't wear linen pants and a wool shirt. Uh, it might not be comfortable, but you can wear them. Now, gedilim taselach, you should wear strings on the four corners of your garment with which you cover yourself. Uh, as I mentioned in the last podcast, we accept the notion that juxtaposition in Sefer Tvarim is meaningful, and therefore Chazal read, and this is a very famous sugya in Menachot and in Brachot, but also in chiefly in Yevamot, Davdal, Davhei, uh, that the juxtaposition of the prohibition of Shatnez with the mitzvah tzitzit is there to tell you that if you have tzitzit, which are wool and linen, you wear them anyways, because asei dochelotasei Mitzvata say trumps alota say, um, and uh, and that leads to the whole issue of sadin mitzitzit and uh, um, um, and uh, the Beit Shammai's disagreement about sadin mitzitzit. Uh, now we this now start we now start on a series of mitzvot that all deal with a reality that we have to preface here so we understand is that 
girls would typically get married in the ancient world, and today it's still true in much, much of the third world, would get married at about the age of 11 or 12, when they were at the beginning of their childbearing years. Much of that was practical, but the reality was that in the ancient world there was no such thing as adolescence. You went from being a child, to being a wife, to being a mother, to, uh, to moving on. And uh, we have to take that into account. So now, if a man takes a woman, but the second piece of the puzzle is that typically the girl would become betrothed at a much younger age than that, but only when she was 11 or 12 or so, then she would be married. So that's the setting for this. If a man takes a woman, he has relations with her, and he doesn't like her. So then what happens? He spins a story about her. And he defames her. And this is the defamation. I took this woman as a wife. I came close to her. I found that she was not a virgin. His claim is that after she was betrothed, at some point before the marriage, she must have had relations with somebody else, and claiming that she is an adulteress. So her parents come. The simple, straightforward read of this is that they bring her bitulim out, which means they would bring the cloth out uh, from the marital bed. But the uh, the way the Chazal understand it is the machloket about this. But the way that the Rabbanon understand this is it means that they would bring different proofs. Uh, and witnesses to demonstrate that she was not in violation. And then what happens? So the father says to the elders, There's what happened. I gave my daughter to this man as a wife, and he didn't like her. And he's made up a story saying, He says, I haven't found Betulim, but here they are. And the little read is, they open up the garment in front of the Zekenim, and they see the dam there. So the people, the elders of that city, take the man in Yisroto. Yisroto means he gets makot. Not only that, they punish him by making him pay a hundred silver pieces. This is twice the normal fine that we have a Chamishim Shekel, and it's twice of what we later develops into the Mount of a Ketubah. And they end up giving this to the father of the Israel. This guy defamed a maiden of Israel. What else? He has to marry, stay married to her. He can never divorce her. Now, to our ears, this sounds really horrible to the girl. This girl got handed off to this guy. The guy is obviously a rotten guy. And now she's stuck with him for life. We have to remember that in the ancient world, and certainly in till the modern era, and even today in some parts of the world, for a woman to be alone, especially alone after having been married to somebody and then been defamed like this, is far worse than to be married to some guy who's not a great guy, because she's without any hope, any future, and uh, without any opportunity to become part of a family, part of a clan. Um, <clears throat> therefore, this uh, mitzvah, and the one that we're going to see later on about the uh, the mefutah, is really there for her protection. Now, on the other hand, let's say the guy was right, and she really wasn't a betula. They take her to her father's door. And she is stoned there, and this is the only one where it's petach betavia, and not in the beitin. 
She did a nivala b'Yisrael. That is a phrase that shows up several times in Tanakh. It shows up in the context of Shechem's behavior with Dina, or letting Dina possibly marry Shechem without Brit Milah. It shows up in the context of Tamar's claim to Amnon about his rape. Shmuel Bet, Perakut Gimel. At least not Betavia, to whore her father's house away, as it were. So then you have to kill her. Of course, this is halachically a very difficult piece because you'd have to have had witnesses who were there at the time who warned her in advance of her uh, of her act of adultery, and she would also have to be of age, which means it had to happen in the very recent past. Okay. Now we come to a much more straightforward case. A man is found sleeping with a woman who's married. They both die. Adultery. The man who's lying with the woman and the woman, we are Tara Mi Yisrael. Okay, however, if a woman who is a, a girl who is a betula, and she is betrothed to a man, a man finds her in the city and lies with her. Then what happens? You take them both out, El Shara to the gate. That's the place of judgment. Then they're stoned. Why is the girl stoned? Because she didn't call for help. I'll explain what this means in a minute. Again, the word ina, as I mentioned in the last, uh, in the last um, podcast, that that is often a reference, sorry, in the first podcast of the series, that that is a reference to something inappropriate sexually, either rape or actually deprivation. In this case, it's not deprivation. Now, what do we mean to say that she didn't call out? So what we what this is all predicated on is context, meaning if it's clear from the context and the witnesses see that she was an absolute consenting uh, partner here, then she's killed. And we see that from the next pasuk. Let's say he found her in the field, not in the city. And he grabbed her, and he had relations with her. He alone will die. Do nothing to the girl. She doesn't have a capital punishment on her head. Why? Just like if a man attacks another man and kills him, that's what happened here. She was raped. She had no no possibility of saving herself. He found her in the field. She called out, and nobody was there to help her. Now, again, it's all context. Meaning that if we, even if we find her in a city, but the clear context of the way things happened is she didn't, wasn't consenting and she was forced, then we regard that as being like in the field. <clears throat> and, uh, and there are those two cases. A very interesting aside about that second to last line. That is the source for the halacha that ones rachmanapatre, that God excuses, the Torah excuses cases of ones when you did something under duress. Uh, it's an interesting piece in uh, Berkowitz points uh, talks about this in his book Not in Heaven, a marvelous piece about Svara. He says, "How do we know that a person is supposed to give his life up rather than violate Gilu Arayot? Because this pasuk about Gilu Arayot, about sexual uh, immorality, is compared to murder. So that means that if we know something about murder, we can apply it here. What do we know about murder? We know that in the case of murder, a person should die rather than murder someone else. But then the Torah is referring to that. The Torah is saying." When you know about murder, apply here. How do we know that about murder? Interesting. The man came to Rava and said, the guy said, either I kill somebody or, or he's going to kill me. And what did Rava say? It's a svara. 
It's reasonable. Who says that your blood is any redder than the other fellows? Maybe his blood is redder, so you've got to let the, uh, the governor kill you rather than kill somebody else. You can't make such a decision. And here the Torah refers to what we innately should understand and uses it to build a case for Gilui Arayot. And the interesting reader is directed to the, uh, I think it's the second chapter in Berkowitz's book, Not in Heaven. Uh, the Hebrew version, much more expanded, Kochava Tafkida Shel Halacha, I think was recently reprinted by Mosad Aravko. Now, he gra- this fellow grabs a girl who is not betrothed. She's a Naravatula, not betrothed. He grabs her, he rapes her, and we find out about it. What happens? He has to pay 50 kasev. 50 kasev ends up the amount of a ketubah. And he has to marry her. Because he had relations with her. Again, he may not divorce her at any point. And I mentioned in the previous podcast about a lava nitakalase, a mitzvah lotase, they can get fixed with an assay. This is another example. If he divorces her, he consistently he has an assay to bring her back and fix that lotase, therefore he doesn't get makot um, for sending her away. We end this aliyah with the beginning of Parakhaf Gimel with a series of Isure Biyabakahal, prohibitions of those who may not marry into the community. A man may not take his father's wife or uncover the corner, the garment of his father, meaning it's a euphemism for have relations with somebody who his father had relations with. Famously, Rabbi Yehuda says this is not talking about his father's wife, but rather about his father's uh, somebody whose father had relations with outside of marriage, Anusataviv. And we learned that from the previous Pasuk that was talking about Ones, and that's what Rabbi Yehuda says, Smuchin Vemishna Torah. He does read juxtaposition in Sefer Dvarim. Somebody who has been uh, uh, injured in a way that they um, cannot perform sexually, a lot of details about this in Yivamot, uh, may not marry Bikal Adonai, they may not marry a regular Jewish woman, Mamzer Bikal Adonai, Mamzer which halachically discussion, what a mamzer is, halacha, we paskin like Rabbi Akiva, which is, it's the result of Isurei Karet, or Isurei Mitat Feitin, even ten generations, which means it's not like the stigma goes away, the mamzer breeds a mamzer. So, that means that somebody who's an amoni or muavi, who wants to convert, marry in, cannot marry a Jewish girl. Even the tenth generation cannot come. We just said tenth generation for the mamzer. Adolam forever. They had to tell you that the the tenth generation of the mamzer is also adolam, not just ten. Why? They showed terrible midot um, uh, and character traits when you were in the desert, and you, after all, were cousins with Amon and Moab through Lot and Avraham. They did not come out to greet you with bread and water. And Vasher Sachar Lacha, this is Moab, at Bilam ben Baormib Torahim Noraim Lahalakalaka. He they hired Bilam to come and curse you. God did not want to listen to Bilam. God turned the Klala into a bracha. Because God loves you. But in the meantime, these guys don't love you, keep them away. Do not seek their peace forever. Just stay away from them. You don't have to go to war against them. You're not allowed to conquer their land. We already saw that in Varim. But, just stay away from them. Famously, the series of events which led to the 
uh, unraveling of David's household started with a violation of this, as the Sifri here points out, that uh, in, uh, in Shmuel Bet Perek uh, Yod, we find out that the king of Ammon died, and David sent men to go as a delegation to console Hanun, his son. Hanun had some advisors who said, these guys aren't here to console you, these guys are here as spies. And so they, uh, they embarrassed them, they stripped them, they shaved them, and they sent them packing. And these guys came back and sent the message to David. David said, stay in Yericho until your beards grow back and come back to the city. In the meantime, that's what started the war against Ammon. During the war against Ammon, there was a colonel in David's army named Uriah HaChiti. While he was at war and David was not at war, David saw his wife Batsheva, and the rest, of course, is the history of Beit David. So this prohibition, while seemingly a relatively innocuous one, as the, as the Sifri says, can lead to, can unravel to much bigger, bigger problems. In any case, we'll pause at this point. It was a, a very long aliyah, and we went through it, uh, discussed a little bit about the juxtaposition of several pieces in it, and about the series of prohibitions first, of mixing different things. And I talked about that in Parshat Kedoshim, about Chukotai, and then about the different things relating to a Na'ara Betula, and why specifically a Na'ara is the age that's always addressed in the Torah. And then we saw Isurei Biyah Bekahal, different people who may not marry in, even if they convert. A person can convert for one of these nations, become a Jew, but they cannot marry a regular Bat Yisrael. Okay, we'll pause at this point, and pick it up with the fourth Aliyah on the next podcast. In the meantime, we should have a wonderful day.